0: Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoyed this message, recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. We are back to the series of Jonah and I'm blessed by this message because it has spoken to me and it's been, the whole series has been, I'm sure you'll agree, um, very deep and there's a lot to explore in this one small book. And um, yeah, it's a very small book because there's only three, four chapters, isn't there? One of the smallest books. So we're going to read from Jonah chapter three this morning, which should come up on the screen. Thanks, Roel. Um The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the people of Nineveh, he rose the king of Nineveh, sorry, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and of his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds, flocks, taste, anything, do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call, urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened." Now, this is kind of a difficult passage in a way because we don't like to hear about the, um, this side of God where people fear his anger, where people worry that they're going to be perished in an instant. It's a difficult thing to talk about in church and i believe we should tackle these things because the old testament is a bigger part of the bible than the small the the new testament isn't it there's a lot in there that sets the scene for the new testament and the way jesus came which we celebrated this morning in communion we celebrated that jesus came as the great sacrifice to forgive and to enable us to have redemption from all our sins. And this people in Nineveh hadn't had the revelation of Jesus because Jesus hadn't come by then. So what were they doing? They were following the old law. They were following the old sacrifices, the way that they'd been told through the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments. Moses went up the mountain. He received the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments gave 10 laws that were guidance for our living. And um, we may not like it, but there's still something about those 10 commandments that are actually incredibly important in our lives. And we need to come back to that sometimes. I know J. John, a few years ago, did a great series on the Ten Commandments and um, brought it to life. And, you know, it's a foundation for much of what we should be living like as Christians, the way that we need to follow God. But we have something extra. And this message is entitled, The God Who is Merciful. Because we have two things. We actually have God's grace and mercy. Now, I'll just say what those two things are. Let's just define them. So grace is the fact that someone gives you something that you don't deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is when someone doesn't give you what you do deserve. So let's define those two things. And in this case, these people of Nineveh, they did deserve something because of their wickedness we we're told at the beginning of the book of jonah that the people of nineveh were very wicked and i don't know what you see in our land at the moment but there's great wickedness in the whole of our world if you look at what's happening in the middle east we've heard this very week just some awful atrocities things that are happening of great wickedness in our world god does not condone that God does not want that happening in the world. That is not his plan. But it happens, and what do we do about it? These are sobering thoughts, but the mercy and the grace of God are here, present, because, particularly because of what Jesus did on the cross. So three weeks ago, we talked, I spoke about Jonah and Um, it was interesting, I found, how Jonah had a moment of repentance. So we've got the people of Nineveh here repenting from their wickedness. Before that, it was mirrored in Jonah. Jonah had become rebellious to God. He said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to that people group who are so wicked. I sort of understand that, actually. (laughs) I do. Um, Would I go? I'm, i pretty sure that I would want to kind of shove it under the table as well and say, I'm not going there. That place, that looks awful. I just really don't want Robin and I getting back from Mexico. I tell you, Mexico is not an easy country. And I cannot imagine what it's like to be a Christian there. I I feel actually a real heart for Mexico now that that there's a massive need for people to go and share the gospel. In Mexico, anything goes they're open to religion, but there's so much deception, anything goes. Uh, I feel passionate that these kind of places, and our country needs Jesus. What if our country has gone so far from what God intended? Um, So, Jonah, he was in the whale, um, or the big fish, for three days and three nights. And during that time, he repented. Now, I talked about, um, on the next slide, it, just a reminder of what we talked about, about repentance last time. So repentance is four different things. And it was, first of all, acknowledging that the way um, we've behaved is, is dishonoring to God. And um, it may be with, no, with, with Jonah, he, first of all, he had to acknowledge that the way he behaved dishonors God. And then he confessed his wrongdoing. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we know that so often in years gone by, perhaps, or you might have had an experience of church where. People focused on wrongdoing and sin and rules and regulations. I was brought up a bit like that. But, you know, we have to remember the mercy and the grace of God is so big that in 1 John 1, nine, I know there is a slide for it. I think they're probably a bit out of order. There we are. Thank you. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. All of us have done something wrong. And um, I keep wanting to call him Noah heard about baby now um jonah jonah had to recognize in the bale of, the whale of the oh the belly of the whale honestly um he had to recognize that he had sinned he had to acknowledge and then he had to confess if we confess our sins it says he is faithful and just and will forgive not might forgive will forgive in many religions we know that there is no clarity In many other religions, do you know what? Christianity is the only religion with a redemption plan. It's a redemption plan for mankind. God knew that we'd mess up. He created a redemption plan. His grace and his mercy are evident in everything he does. But sometimes we can focus too much on sin. And I know that actually, though, we do need to recognize that we've sinned, that we need to repent Um, but that he will, not he might, he will forgive us and purifies us from all unrighteousness. Then thirdly, we need to accept God's forgiveness. If we know that we've sinned, we've come to him recognizing that we've sinned, and we've believed and trusted in his forgiving power, then we have to accept, thank you God, you've forgiven me, and then commit to change. Repentance is about committing to change. And here we have a people group who, they mirrored what Jonah had done. I think it's on the slide back again. We're going back to where it says um, collective repentance. So here we have the people of Nineveh. They repented collectively as a people. And I'm just looking at the world today and thinking about things that have happened in history. How collective repentance is incredibly powerful and at this particular point in history when Jonah came and spoke to the people it completely changed the course of the people of Nineveh this city of wickedness completely changed and we hear what they did they put on sackcloth they fasted and they called uh, the king called everyone to call upon God Urgently to give up their evil ways, to give up their violence. Who knows, he said, God may relent and have compassion. And he did. God did just that. He relented. His grace was poured out upon them, His mercy was poured out upon them. And what was going to happen to them did not happen. He withheld His judgment upon them because they repented. God is a God, a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. So there's something powerful about collectively coming to God in repentance and humility. I don't know if you remember those videos a while back. Um, I can't remember what they're called now. I think they're about, there's one about this, the um, nation of Fiji and how everyone in the nation repented And there was a huge outpouring to God, a huge collective repentance. And God changed the course of history for Fiji. If you ever get a chance to watch it, I think it's called Let the Sea Resound. Transformation series. They're fantastic videos of very good examples of how this happens. And you know what? Not only did the people change in um, Fiji, but the crops grew better. Who knows if our... Crop growing, our farming is also dependent on the attitude we have to God. I know about the place in Wales, Faldy Brennan. I don't know if anyone's been there. It's a retreat, Christian retreat center, and there's a book about it. It's absolutely brilliant how apparently, because they pray on the land, they bless the land, they love Jesus, and they're pouring out God's grace and mercy in that area, there's documented reports that the farmland around is more successful and more productive than the areas outside that area it is a fact that they have documented this happens praise the lord so i'm just going to read another verse 2 chronicles 7:14 It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's their land as well. God wants to bless our land. We are not a people who live close to the land in this country. We don't really think that much, a lot of us, about where our food comes from. It's only because of the blessing of God that we have our food. That's why many of us give thanks before we eat a meal, because we, do, we should not take that for granted. God wants to heal our land he wants to forgive our sin. He wants to do total transformation, as those videos are called, the transformation series. Total transformation, body, mind, spirit, and land. He wants to transform everything. Are we open to that? Are we open to this kind of collective repentance, like was experienced in Noah's, in Jonah's time, in Nineveh? Um, I told you I might be a bit mixed up. Yeah. Um, yeah and you know I would I was picking up as I was reading this yesterday about the way the people fasted as well and I just want to pick up on fasting a bit today because uh, earlier in the year we had a week of prayer and fasting didn't we and as a leadership we were talking about how important it is to bring a little bit of teaching about prayer and fasting And, and today is it by the way, because it really flows from this message how the people of Nineveh fasted. The king called a fast. And so let's just talk for a minute about fasting. Fasting is something that's talked about in the Old Testament as a discipline, part of a people's, the people's consecration to God. It was an opportunity for focusing on God as our source. I mean, think about how much you eat and how many times a day you eat and how much you think about food in your life. <laughs> food is our very sustenance. Jesus is called the daily bread in John, the book of John. And and our daily bread is literally life-giving to us. And so when you take that away, It kind of gets you thinking, really, doesn't it? It gets you focusing on God and where our source is. Our source is not our nutrients, although without them we cannot live. You know that. But our source is actually God. And we need to get back to that sometimes. This is why fasting is an important discipline. And I think many people have gone away from it, and it's not not easy. I know that. (laughs) Fasting is something... That is part of a spiritual discipline. It's often done as a group. We did it as a group to show a commitment to repentance. And then when Jesus came, he models it in the New Testament. Jesus did 40 nights, 40 days and 40 nights fasting. And it was an important part of worship in the early church. If you read the book of Acts, good thing to do, read the book of Acts regularly. It is so inspiring. The Acts of the Apostles, they were often fasting. They fasted to, um, prior to choosing a new leader, which is exactly what we're doing at the moment. We are about to launch a um, an uh, uh, um, advert, and it's a program of um, recruitment. We need to be praying and fasting. It's important. We do not want the wrong person in place. We want... Most of all, the person who comes, we're not relying on them to do everything, but we are expectant for God to move. Actually, on that note, a few weeks ago in the prayer meeting, um, I had a very clear picture, which I really want to share right now because it's very encouraging at the time of this recruitment of a new pastor. I had this picture of uh, an aircraft taking off, and it was on the runway the engines were revving, and it was ready to go. But you know what? In that aeroplane, there was no pilot. The pilot was not there, but the plane was so ready to go. And then in my picture, I saw the pilot coming. The pilot came and was carrying a bag and was getting on the plane. And I felt the Holy Spirit say in that meeting that, This was a picture of us at the moment. We're a church, ready on the runway. We're ready to take off. Something good is about to happen in this church. Believe it, folks. We're going to believe for this. It's no small thing. And so we were sat on the runway, engines revving, people in the seats, belted up, ready to go and take off into new places. And the pilot came along finally And what was amazing, I saw a picture of the bag he was carrying. The pilot had a bag. And in that bag, I felt the Holy Spirit say that that's all the equipment that the the new pastor needs, the the pilot of this church. Um, It's the giftings they bring. It's the um, tools they bring. It's their heart for God they bring. Everything they bring to make it possible to do the role that they need to do in this church to take us off. And then to add to that picture, Anne had an extra bit where she saw in the airport the tannoy going. You know how in the tannoy they put out messages. And the message was, with the pilot for such and such a plane Centre to church, come forth now? We need them. And um, is that right? Something like that. And, and it was like the Holy Spirit was saying to us that right now there's a Tanoi message, a call going out to that one person who God is calling to pastor this church. Isn't that exciting? We're going to trust and believe that. Let's actually just pray right now. Lord, we just trust that you're sending the right person to this church to take us off into new climes. Lord, we want to climb higher with you. And we're believing for that person to be called right now as we speak. And we thank you, Lord, that you've got the right person in mind with the right bag of equipment and giftings. Amen. So these people of Nineveh, they came collectively and they fasted. And so let's just think a bit more about fasting. The Bible says um, several things about fasting. On the next slide, we've got three main points, really. The Bible says it's not to be done boastfully. It's between you and God. Whilst I say that fasting is done collectively, it is, and it's an important part of it. But also, it it is about you and God. It's not to be something you boast about. Jesus criticized people in the New Testament. Matthew 6, 16 to 18, I'll leave that up there. Um, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. And I think in this country, that would not happen. Um, Most people are not going to put on sackcloth when they fast. But in those days, that would be what happened. And it made it look obvious that they were doing it for their own glory. We are fasting for God's glory, not our own. It's between us and God. And it's it's not about being hyper-spiritual. If anyone... Um, talks about them fasting for 30 days. Oh, good on them. You know, I couldn't do it, but um, maybe I could. Maybe I could. God gives the grace, but um, it's about doing it between you and God. It's also not to be done as a ritual. It's a heartfelt desire to see change and surrender. Joel tapped Chapter 2, verse 12 says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. That's about his grace, isn't it? Um, His mercy, sorry. His mercy is where he doesn't send what he should have sent because people deserve it. Grace is where he gives you freely of his rewards when you don't deserve it. He gives. He's a God of grace and mercy. So that second point, it's heartfelt surrender. It's an opportunity for heartfelt surrender, humbling ourselves. It's very humbling not to depend on food. It's very humbling when you are recognizing that God is your source, that your nutrients that you're taking into your body might normally be your source and everyone in uh, every scientist will tell you that you cannot not eat. But we know that God is our source. We are using this time as a total dependence on him. And thirdly, it comes with petitioning God. So those people, um, Ezra chapter 8, verse 23, in the book of Ezra, it says, so we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. If you want to look up that passage or any of those passages and just do a little bit of a study, it might be helpful. They were petitioning at the same time, as were the people in Nineveh. They were petitioning God to give grace and mercy. And He answered our prayer, it says in Ezra 8, verse 23. So, you know, we are fasting because we're humbling ourselves, but we're also fasting and at the same time petitioning to God for a particular thing. Maybe. Um, a particular thing in your life that you're struggling with recently robin and i have, have had a day a week fasting about a particular thing in our lives that we wanted to see a breakthrough in and so we decided that one day a week we'd fast and and so that was powerful and i believe it did change the situation it prepared us for something and and this is what god does as we fast There's another point relating to the first point, actually, that I haven't mentioned. Isaiah 58 talks a lot about fasting. And um, it talks about how people fasted and were using it as part of their spiritual ritual, but not actually regarding the poor. And so God challenges us that whilst it is a very important spiritual discipline to fast, at the same time, our actions are needed as well. Isaiah 58 says, Is not not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, and to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. So you know at the same time as fasting, God's very practical. He's a practical God. He doesn't want us to go into our closet and be hyper-spiritual Christians who fast and sing and worship all day. At the same time, it's hugely important to God that we meet the needs of the unjust situations around us. And so I just want to emphasize that. There's a great book on pa- fasting. Last time I spoke, I recommended a book about the awe of God by John Bevere, This time, which I really recommend. God's really doing a, a process in me of bringing me back to the awe of God. And this time I'm recommend, uh, recommending a book about fasting called uh, The Hidden Power of Prayer and Fasting by Mahesh Chavda. I honestly recommend this book. It's very powerful if you want to read about fasting. Um, it really did... Impacted me powerfully many years ago when I read it, and it's still in print today. So just I checked that yesterday. Um, just a few practical tips about fasting. Uh, I think I don't know if they're on a slide. Probably not. So we need to consider health issues. I would, I would be remiss if I didn't mention these things. If you are embarking on fasting, consider health issues. If you're diabetic or if you're pregnant, breastfeeding or other health conditions, check with your medical practitioner. Um, make sure that you're confident that this is something that your body is able to deal with. Having said that, we have a miraculous God. In this church, we believe in the miraculous healing power of Jesus. And so there are times where God can miraculously, and does miraculously help out in these situations. Um, Fasting in the Bible generally meant from food, but we know Daniel, he fasted from meat and choice foods. So, Perhaps for you, fasting doesn't look like totally stopping food. For you, fasting might look like going on a vegetable diet, being vegan for a a while. And, And maybe that's part of your fasting. Or maybe fasting from TV, fasting from social media, fasting from something else that holds you back. What is it that has held you? What is it that you're dependent on? Because this is about learning to depend on God. It's about humility, as I mentioned earlier, our humbling ourselves before God. Fasting is basically a process of humbling ourselves before God. It's an opportunity to say, okay, I won't let that thing, whatever it is, food, television, social media, hold me back. Remember that when you're fasting, you don't just um, create more time in your life. You know, food takes a long time in life, I find. Preparing it and eating it can take anything from 30 minutes to two hours, or maybe you take longer. I don't know. And so remember that that time that you would have eaten, that you would have cooked food, would be a time where you could come before God, swap it out, come before God, speak to him, come in that petitioning Um, humbling attitude first of all humbling yourself secondly petitioning for whatever it is you're coming to God specifically for or maybe you're not coming to him for anything specific it's okay just fasting for the sake of humbling ourselves before God is good God might call you to fast for 40 days this guy Mahesh Chavta he has fasted several times for 40 days and um He's got a special anointing on his life. I don't know how he's doing now. I don't follow him particularly, but I know that he was very powerfully ministering to different nations. He saw people raised from the dead, many people healed, many salvations. This is a kind of power. I'm not saying there's a ticket to power. The ticket to power isn't, if I fast, I will have, etc. It's not about that. It's all about the grace and mercy of God. It's all about the grace and mercy and so it's about that humbling ourselves. Don't feel bad, though, if you can't do 40 days. One meal. You start small, you know? You can just start with um, one meal a week, one meal a month. It's, it doesn't matter. There's no condemnation. It's about starting small. Maybe build up to, to one whole day, two whole days, three whole days. Maybe build it up slowly. God will give you the grace. It isn't easy. I've done several days, not 30, 40, no way. Um, but, you know, the, fa- the craving for food can be strong. And, and sometimes I take, um, sometimes I'm quite lean on myself, um, and particularly with health challenges. Sometimes it's good to take some sweet kind of drinks, nothing too sugary, smoothies or uh, milky drinks or soup, that's okay. If God is putting it on your heart, you're doing it the way that God is calling you to do it, that is fine. But do drink water. Whatever you do, drink water. You know we cannot survive more than three days without water. And respect your body during a fast. If you go running a marathon regularly or anything crazy like that, your body will probably not be up to it if you're on a fast. If you play lots of tennis or whatever you do, just respect your body during the time of fasting. So those are a few practical pointers that you can go back to. Perhaps if you watch this video, video of today's um, message back to yourself later you can sort of take in and absorb some of these points a bit more we're going back to the people of Nineveh the people of Nineveh took their situation seriously notice they humbled themselves before God and recognized their need of his grace and power And they turned from their wicked ways. Something really shifted in Nineveh. It was worth Jonah turning around, being chucked off a boat, swallowed by a fish, and then spat up on the shore. It was worth it. It was worth it. And often, just to say, these things that God calls us to do, sometimes God calls us to do big things. Big things often equal big breakthroughs you know god isn't just asking us to have an easy life life is not easy big sacrifices big surrenders equal big breakthroughs Mahesh Chavda one quote there that we've got on the screen it says fasting moves you from the natural realm into the supernatural realm And I believe that it does. I believe that if we want to see more of the supernatural in our church, in our lives, actually it is an important spiritual discipline that we need to get back to. And I don't say that lightly um, because I don't want us to become a legalistic church. When I was growing up, I was brought up in an age where there was a lot of legalism and a lot of rules and a lot of things. You don't do this and you don't do that and you must do this and you must do that. But God, I think things have swung the opposite way. We're now in a season in many countries of the world of liberalism and permissivism. And I'm not saying that we should go back to legalism, but I think we need to remember that God is an awesome God. And as we come before him, he does want our worship. He does want our humility. And, and the people of Nineveh came to that realization. They were very wicked. They needed to have great humility. There was a great change occurred. There was a great change. God only wants the best for us, as he did for the people of Nineveh. He wants people to have that safety of relationship with him. And he guards our relationship with him jealously. It says in the Bible, God is a jealous God. I talked earlier about the Ten Commandments and um, the Second Commandment where it talks about he, he is a jealous God and he doesn't want us to serve anyone else. He wants all of our worship. This is a time where we as a church need to come before him and give him all of our worship. God's going to bring supernatural things, manifestations, and the world needs that supernatural manifestation. I saw it firsthand in Mexico, where our son is. Please pray for our son. Um, where there's a huge interest in supernatural manifestations. There's many, many openness, much openness to various gods and religions. God wants our worship. He wants our humility. He wants our serious dedication to him. We're going to see massive breakthroughs in this church, in our personal lives, in our society around us, if we do make serious, radical changes in our lives in devotion to God. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info@centerchurch.uk or check out our website at www.centerchurch.